last week without a mic. I don't know my voice to hold up today. If you would open your Bibles, please, to Psalms 32. Psalms 32. We're going to continue our looking at some of the Old Testament passages we seem to pass over. Let me make a, a deviation from that a little bit here in a week or so. But we want to stick here with some Old Testament things. First, uh, Psalms chapter 32. And we'll look at this entire psalm. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer, Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgivest the iniquity of my sin, Selah. For this shall every one that is God be pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as the horse or as the mule, which hath no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with the bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. Let us pray. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before Thee this morning, we come, dear God, thanking Thee for each one that's made the way out. Dear Father, we pray for Brother Garth. Lord, we pray that You be pleased to touch his body and lift him up. Lord, we truly miss him when he's not here. Dear Father, we pray that You would stir our hearts this morning in such a way as we would see the beauty of the subject that we're going to be dealing with. Dear Father, I thank you for this song because it has so much within it. Lord, I just ask that you'd increase our understanding. Father, if there's somebody here this morning that's lost, I pray this be the time that you speak to their hearts and draw them unto yourselves. And dear Lord, what you do for us, we'll thank you and praise you for these things we do ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The subject I'd like to draw across to today is discovering spiritual contentment. Discovering spiritual contentment. If I were to ask you this morning, how many truly contented people do you know? I'm sure your list would be very small. In fact, there may not be any name on it at all. The Apostle Paul said 
and this is, I'm just going to give, give him the rundown on it, but Apostle Paul said that wherever he was, he found whatever state he was in, that he was content. It didn't matter if he was in prison or if he was free. It didn't matter if he was in peril or in rejoicing. It didn't matter what circumstance he found himself in this life, he was content. That's a blessing. That's a blessing from God. It's a blessing that so few uh, people ever come across all their lives. They de- they dwell in things that uh, they think will give them happiness, but they do not. We'll touch a little more on that and go through here. They think that uh, that something that contentment is something that can be acquired, but it cannot. Contentment is something that's granted by God. And it's not available for the world. We'll get that out here at the very beginning. I want to begin by, by illustrating this point with a story I read. Once a rich industrialist was walking along the docks and was disturbed to find a fisherman sitting lazily beside his boat. Why aren't you out there fishing, he asked. Because I've caught enough fish for today, said the fisherman. Why don't you catch more fish than you need? The rich man asked. What would I do with them? You could earn more money, came the impatient reply, and buy a better boat so you could go deeper and catch more fish. You could purchase nylon nets, catch even more fish, and make more money. Soon you'd have a fleet of boats and be rich like me. The fisherman asked, Then what would I do? You can sit down and enjoy life, said the industrialist. What do you think I'm doing now? (laughs) That illustrates the point rather well, I think. I find that, to me, uh, happiness, joy, and contentment more often than not, comes from the simplest of things. <clears throat> you know, it doesn't have to be big and elaborate and fancy. Uh, it can be it's very simple, and that's where uh, we get where people get caught up today, uh, trying to trying to to acquire this thing that's so elusive. That man in the story had learned a valuable lesson. He had learned how to be content and it showed in his life this is something that most of the world has absolutely no idea about none whatsoever the fact excuse me in fact if you notice that nobody seems to be satisfied anymore with anything it doesn't matter they're not satisfied everyone wants more than they have if they could just get that better car, or if they could just live in this fancier neighborhood, uh, if they could just acquire more money and have more money in the bank, more of this and more of that, then they'd be happy. Yet, at the same time, when they achieve some of their goals and attain some of those things that they're after, they're still disappointed and discontented because they can't find it there. It, it, 
it, it absolutely uh, tickles me to be honest. You see the commercials, and every seems like every week they're coming out with a new cell phone, bigger, better, faster, all those kind of things. And people will go and, and get rid of one that there's nothing wrong with. It satisfies the needs. It takes care of their of the purpose, but it's not the latest and greatest. That's what they gotta have. It's a lot of waste of money, as I look at it. Use it until you can't use it anymore. And then do something else. It's kind of the way I like to look at it. But I've been uh, I've been called to be I've been told I was out of touch with things more than once. There's always something more that these kind of people must have. They've got to have it. Or they're never satisfied and never quit harping. It seems like we live in a day when contentment is elusive and happiness is evasive. The problem comes from the fact that people are looking for contentment in all the wrong places. They're looking for contentment where it can never and will never and has never been found. Beloved, the fact of the matter is that we face in this life is sinking contentment is this. Contentment will never be found in the physical and in the material world. Never. Real contentment cannot be figured in dollars and cents. Real contentment is spiritual in nature. That's why I said a few minutes ago it has to be given to us by God. It's a spiritual gift that we can acquire if we'll set the flesh aside for a little bit and live our life in the spiritual, in the spiritual realm with spiritual means to what we're doing. You see, the quest for more in the material world is merely a symptom of spiritual poverty. They want more, but they don't have enough. Why well, that sounds muddied up, I realize it. But what I'm trying to say is the fact that they're desiring more and more and more is showing that spiritually they have less and less. It's nothing there. If we would be truly satisfied and content, content, it must begin with contentment in the heart. Are you content with where you are spiritually? Now, as I say that, we all can say, well, I wish I knew more about the Bible. I wish I walked closer to the Lord. I wish I prayed more. You know, that kind of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. Are you content with the fact that if you're saved, you're a child of God? That you want nothing else? And beloved, if you're, if you're lost, then you have no contentment at all. Because contentment comes from the Lord. Your life deep down, is turmoil. And it will remain that way unless or until the Lord speaks to your heart 
and draws you unto himself. Isn't that a beautiful thing when it happens? When the Lord speaks to that dead heart, brings life to it, and enables a person to respond and come to the Lord in the free part of sin. It's a beautiful thing. And I'm glad that it's not reserved for just a few, but it's something that can be that can be achieved by by any any person. If God's dealing with you, then He's wanting you. The way good way of putting it. When spiritual contentment is achieved, it will produce genuine contentment in the other areas of our life as well. If you're satisfied with your heart, if you're satisfied in your standing with God, if you're standing, if you're satisfied with the way things are spiritually, everything else falls in line. You'll find yourself being content uh, with your work. You'll find yourself being content with how things are going at home. You'll find yourself being content uh, with your life as a whole. And this is a contentment, beloved, that is is uh, beyond description when we achieve it and when we have it. The Psalms that we've read today is all about this matter of spiritual contentment. In fact, it tells us how we can discover genuine spiritual contentment. If you find this morning that you're discontented with your life and, there, and that you're not pleased with where you are in your life, this psalm has a word for you today. This psalm has something to say. So today I want to take a close look at the subject, discovering spiritual contentment. And as we do, it's my prayer that the Lord will help each of us reach that place of genuine spiritual joy. First thing we want to notice is the possibility of spiritual contentment. We found out in the first two verses. Now, in order to, to get through this song, it's important that we take a little background look at it. Uh, a little background is very helpful for us in this Psalms. Psalms 32 was written by David after he had committed adultery with Bathsheba and had her cousin, her cousin, her husband, I hope her cousin wasn't her cousin, but had her husband Uriah put to death in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Remember, David tried every way in the world to cover his sin. <clears throat> David tried every way in the world to, to make it so that it wouldn't come out. And when Uriah wouldn't play along, he told him to put him out in the heat of the battle and to just withdraw from him. In other words, David was responsible for the murder of Uriah. David committed these sins and tried unsuccessfully to cover them up. Does that sound like you and me in any time? Do we not when we sin, especially with something that we've justified in our hearts and minds before we have done it, that we'll try to cover it up as best we can so that nobody ever finds out that it never comes to the light of day? He was confronted by Nathan the prophet and at that time he made a full confession. 2 Samuel chapter 12. Full confession as to what he did. Nathan told him a story that rired up David's anger. Now he made the story about how there's one fellow that only had one little ewe lamb. 
and how this fellow had all kinds of sheep, and he took the guy's ewe lamb. And David said, let me know who that man is. I'll take care of him. Uriah looked at him and said, thou art the man. And David knew exactly what he was talking about. Didn't have to go any further than that. It was during this time that David also wrote Psalms 51, which is a, which is a classic looking at his sin and how he confessed it to God. There David makes a full confession of his sins and requests forgiveness. It was in that 51st Psalm where he asked God, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. There's joy in salvation, folks. Or have you been saved so long you've forgotten? There's joy in walking with the Lord. There's joy in being a child of God. There's joy in being able to commune with God anytime, anywhere we want to. There's joy in having our sins taken care of. And that's what David was longing for. And when we come into a hand of chastening, what we long for as well is to have that joy restored. He also promises that he will teach other sinners the way of the Lord. In Psalm 51 and verse 3. He will teach them when they have made blunders what they need to do. Because David was well aware of even though they may not have committed the same things that he committed, they may not be guilty of the same things that he was guilty of, they were sinners nonetheless, just the same as we all are. And he was going to teach them, help them, direct them, guide them, so that they may find their way back to where they needed to be. Psalms 32 seems to be David's fulfillment of that promise uh, that he made to God in the 51st Psalms. We can make no mistake that David was a great singer, singer of the Psalms. He had a sweet voice, from what I can tell from the Scriptures. He was a great king. He was a great saint. Because the Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. The only person in all the Bible that that's set up. But, he was also a great sinner. Beloved, that should give us encouragement. That though we sin, that though we commit sin, no matter how horrible it could be, the Lord will forgive us. He will set us free and set us back on the path where we need to be. He was something here to teach us about sin and about the how, to, how to deal with it properly. Spiritual contentment to find. In these first two verses, David uses four different words to describe our failure. The first one is transgressions in verse 1. This word means to step over a boundary or to cross a line. Now who set the line? God. Who set the boundary? God. The transgress that is a step beyond or to go over that particular line. It speaks of open rebellion against, against the clear commands of the Lord. Open rebellion. Not a mistake. Not a little whoopsie. It is blatant, open rebellion. Much in the same way 
that you tell a child to do something, that child just bows up and says, No! <laughs> oh, 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 me. They say it once. I thought more than one time it's a good thing that child didn't belong to me. But he, wouldn't, they, he or she wouldn't tell me no again. But that goes back to being old and out of touch, I guess. It's a picture, or it picture sin as defiance. We are standing in open defiance of God when we transgress His law. Open defiance. It speaks of sin specifically in verse 1. This word carries the idea of missing the mark. It speaks of a bent or crooked arrow that cannot fly straight. It pictures sin as a defect. And as that, that is a defect that we're born with as the fallen descendants of Adam. We all miss the mark. We cannot attain it. We cannot get it. You know, you have a... I've never, I've never tried to, to, to shoot an arrow that was crooked, but I have fired, tried to shoot a few guns that the sights were off on. And no matter how hard you try, you can't hit the bullseye because the sights are off. And if you do, you got to make a correction by holding it way off from where you're supposed to. Beloved, we miss the mark set by God over and over and over again. Let's be honest. Let's get personal. We do it every day. We do it a multitude of times. The only difference between you and I and that person that's lost is our sins run into the blood. And theirs isn't. Our sins can be, well, not can be, will be forgiven. If we'll confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a promise we can take to the bank. The next word he uses is iniquity. This word means bent or crooked. It brings to mind something that is warped or distorted. Every time I think of something being warped, I had a friend of mine who, was, who went up and spent quite a bit of time in Ohio. And when they come back home, his sister had a yeah, she had a collection about that thick of 45s. Now, some of y'all youngins don't know what a 45 is, but it was a record. And 45 was the speed that you set the spindle on to, to play the songs. And she had them on a little gizmo that would hold them, had a thing that went up through the holes, but she didn't have a cover on them. And somebody thought it was it was bright to put it in the back glass of the vehicle. And when they got home, those records looked like that. They were warped. They were ruined. When I think of warped, that's what I always go to. You think about you think about your vehicle. Did you ever go down off of a hill or somewhere and you hit the brake and you start going. Duh, 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 duh. What's happened? You got a warped rotor. You've done something, you got the thing too hot or something or other, and it's warped. Used to be you could take it and get them turned. Now you got to buy a new one. 
It's a whole lot cheaper getting turned. But the point of making, you know what we're talking about? We're talking about warp. Or something that that this is how it looks at us in our iniquity. The word, this word, it does. This word refers to our very nature, which is warped and distorted and bent toward doing evil. Everything about us that is talking about our flesh is bent toward evil. It's intending to do evil. And evil is all it can do without the hand of God. The Bible tells us that, we've, we've mentioned this so many times, but it fits so many things, that our righteousness, the best that we can come up with, our best actions, our best motives, our best attitude, is nothing but filthy rags before God. Now why? Because of our distorted bent toward doing evil. Iniquity pictures sin clearly as being a distortion. Hmm. Do you ever see those funhouse mirrors? You know, what do they do? They take your... They don't take it. You stand there and it's your image. But the way the glass is bent, it distorts how you look. It may look like you got a big old head and a little body, or you may have a little head and a big old long body, or whatever it may be. It distorts us. It's not a true looking at the way we are. Let me turn it around. How many times have you ever seen a photograph of yourself that you really like? You know? Why? Because we have in our minds a distorted view of how we look. That camera don't lie. It puts us out there exactly as we look when that picture's taken. And sometimes we don't like it. But it doesn't change the way that we look. Distortion will change everything. You know, I... I, I used to hear them say sometimes in a music shop that, that a guitar company will pay, th pay thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars to get the, the knowledge to be able to produce a guitar that sounds clean, electric guitar that sounds clean and clear. And then the person buys it and goes out and buys stuff to distort that sound. We like it distorted sometimes. Well, it suits our nature. The next one is guile, which is also found in verse 2. This word means deceitful. It refers to that which is dishonest and deceptive. And there's a lot of people today in this world that are dishonest and deceptive. Couldn't believe them on oath. Wouldn't believe them if they're... If they told me it was good morning without looking out to make sure it wasn't dark. And it's a shame when a person allows themselves to get in that shape. But it happens. Nobody does it to you. You do it on your own. You picture sin 
as being a as being deception. Where do we see that? We see that in people that are lost that think they're all right. We see this in people that you ask them if they know the Lord, and they'll say they'll tell you when they were baptized. We ask them if they know the Lord, and they tell you about yeah they 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 made a decision when they were in vacation Bible school when they were little. Well, that's wonderful. Where, where do you go to church? Well, I don't. Proofs in the pudding, folks. Deception. The devil is very good at deceiving folks. I'm not as bad as this one over here. I don't do the things that they do. I don't say the things that they say. I'm good to everybody I come into contact with. I'm honest with everybody I come into contact with. I treat everybody the way that I want to be treated. And those are all good things. But unless you know the Lord and the free pardon of sin, you'll take those good things with you straight to hell. Without exception. The only way that a person can bypass hell is to come to know the Lord and the free pardon of sin. There's no other way. All your good works will die with you. All your good intentions will die with you. It takes the blood of Jesus Christ to make one clean. David tells us that of all these terrible aspects of sin, and they're a part of our lives. But thank God they can be taken care of. Each one can be taken care of. And getting them dealt with before the Lord is the key to spiritual contentment. The key to being alright. I've, I've known individuals that were dying of a terminal disease that were at perfect peace with their disease and the fact that they were dying. Why? They had spiritual contentment in the Lord. They knew their life was in His hands. And, you know, it's like uh, that song Chuck sings, if I go or if I stay, I'm a winner either way. You know, there's no loser. Uh, we grieve, we miss, our heart's broken. I'm not talking about it. We, we do uh, lose, don't we? But we know where that person is. And we know we have the promise that we're going to be back with them one day. And that's a glorious problem we have. A promise we have, not a problem, a promise that we have. Transgressions can be forgiven. In verse 1. The word that they use here means to lift up and bear away. To lift up and bear away. Our defiance can be removed. Our open rebellion can be dealt with and taken away. I have seen many strong-willed children, and I'm not I'm just making a comment. Don't shoot the messenger. I've seen many strong-willed children who through constant, consistent effort on the parents' part and through the benefit of once they, they get in school. Uh, 
find out that they're not nearly as headstrong as they were. They become very nice young people. Very good young people to be around, a joy to be around. I've seen that happen more than once. Our defiance before God is taken away. Our transgression is gone. Our rebellious nature has been taken away. Well, I'm going to back up there. I ain't going to say taken away because we do rebel from time to time. But it's not the same as it was before we come to know the Lord. Sin can be covered in verse 1. The word that they use here means to conceal or put out of sight. Conceal or put out of sight. This is how David understood it because this is what was going on during the days of the tabernacle. You know, on the Day of Atonement, the, the, the covering was made for sin and they would cover for the next till the next year. We know that our sin wasn't just covered over. Our sins were taken away fully and completely by the blood of Jesus. Our defect, that is if you're using the same terminology as we did before, can be covered and in fact removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God he can be removed. It's no longer there. It's no longer eating away at us. It's no longer holding us back. It's no longer preventing us from being able to come into the presence of the Almighty. It's no longer preventing us from serving God day by day. It's gone. He takes it away. And if you think you enjoy being around God's people now, if you're lost, you don't, you don't know the half of it once you're saved. When you come fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, that's true joy. I've, I've said this uh, here before. Um, this is my family. And I don't have... I don't have any people even within probably within 100 miles, blood relatives. And some of those I just do not be around, if I'm going to be honest. You're my family. Well, I forgot about Max and Wilma. I was thinking about them on my side, the Dean's side, or the break side for that matter. Beloved, we're together. We're all together, brothers and sisters in Christ. How? Through the blood of Jesus, whose salvation that only He can provide, provide for us. Iniquity may not be imputed, verse 2. This phrase refers to a debt that is not reckoned, a debt that has not been paid. Our spiritual distortion and bankruptcy will not be held over our heads. Now you think about a distorted view. Now if you watch or have ever watched one of those NASCAR races, it is possible to get so far behind you think you're ahead. You know, and the whole field starts catching up with you. That's a distorted view. But beloved, the fact that our spiritual bankruptcy will not be held over our heads ever again. Never. 
Our sins are taken as far as the east is from the west. And that means it can never be brought back. Thank God for that fact. Our heart can be free from guile. Guile, deceit. Uh, our hearts can be free from all spiritual deception. You know, guile, and I hate to say this about a, 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 a biblical person who was a forefather, a forerunner in the line of, of uh, Jesus, but Jacob spoke with guile. He used deception. He did a lot of his things he did was through deception. And according to what we looked at, that's guile. Our hearts can be free from all that. Our hearts can be free of all guile. Our hearts can be free from all spiritual deception. And we can be open and honest before the Lord. And once you're saved, you're not being deceived anymore. Satan's not letting you think that you're saved and alright. Satan's not letting you think that everything's just going to be hunky-dory and you can go on your merry little way. Satan has no claim on us if we're saved. And once we're saved, we are free from that type of deception because we know. We don't wonder. We don't think. We don't hope. We know that, we, that we're saved. One of the, one of the tests... Things on that, the Bible says that we know that we pass from death into life if we love the brethren. That's a true, that's a true statement. If you have love for the brethren, that's proof positive that you know the Lord. Open and honest before the Lord. You can talk to the Lord about anything, anytime. In open honesty, not having to try to hold back anything, not trying to... to uh, conceal anything or deceive anybody or trick anybody, you can just pull it out there and the Lord will hear and He will help you. This is, this is about as far as I'm going to try to take this this morning. We'll finish it up next Sunday, Lord willing. You know, we, we need to understand that there is a great gasp, gap between the way the world lives and the way the child of God lives. Tremendous gap. And we need to understand, beloved, that if you want to have spiritual contentment, the only way that you can have it is being in Him. The only way that you can have it is being a child of God. And if, as we look, go to our, our closing now, if the Lord has spoken to your heart, I would like to invite you to come. Deal with what God would have you to deal with. There's plenty of folks here that can help you. And be willing to do so. So, uh, if God's dealing with your heart, please come. Let us pray.